you would, turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. It has been our privilege to move through this book. And again, today we are going to uh, open to chapter 5 and just reveal its truths, uh, its principles. Uh, They are what speak to our hearts. Uh, This book is living and it is active And it just needs to be unleashed. And today my job is to simply unleash this passage of Scripture for you in your in your own heart and in my heart. Uh, It is my privilege to to stand before you. Um, Thanksgiving is over. Uh, Just think about that. That statement. Thanksgiving is over. Is it ever over? No, no, it's not over. So uh, it is It is our privilege to have gone through this week where we celebrate, even as a country, it's still a privilege to, to say that our country does celebrate Thanksgiving. It's a rare uh, rare thing. We, we'd want to uh, continue to do that. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll read the first five verses. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must be must not even be named among you as is proper among saints for there must not must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks for this you know that with certainty that no immorality or immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance has an inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ and God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would reveal this text to us. Help us to understand what you've already said. Lord, may I not get in the way of, of this passage, but help, help us to uh, expound it and to understand it so it will have its work in our lives and our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when we are created at creation, God created mankind. He created mankind with a conscience. I think we uh, are aware of that. Whether you're saved or unsaved, you have a moral conscience. A moral, you're a moral creature. You're aware of, of judgments that you have to make, whether good or bad. Um... Sin, however, has distorted that, that moral judgment that God has given to us. And it's distorted in several different ways. First of all, it, it of course, excludes God from our picture, from our frame of reference, from our life. He is just somewhat excluded, and sin tends to do that. He excludes God. And sin, when it's worked in our hearts, it... It, it it helps us to, and it, it forces us, it, it causes us to establish our own independence. So God being out of the picture, we are independent. God doesn't call the shots. He is not God. I am God, essentially, is what we're saying. So we become independent, and that's the characteristic of all men. We want our independence. We also assert our self-sufficiency. We're not only de- uh, independent... But we have the attitude, I don't need anyone else. I don't need God. I don't need anyone else. I am self-sufficient. We like to see ourselves as self-sufficient. We also, concerning this moral character, um, we also want to see ourselves as being the final judge. We are the ones who can discern right and wrong. 
or at least if we don't have to discern it in some kind of tangible or uh, uh, etherical way or some kind of mental way, we can know right from wrong when we see it. And so we kind of judge our own selves as doing right, and we're going down the right path. We see ourselves in that focus, in that, in that light. Our world becomes self-centered. That's what sin does. Self-centered. Our affections are on us. Our attention is on ourselves. However, at salvation, something just miraculously happens. It's an amazing thing. God comes in and changes a heart. The Holy Spirit resides. He brings into our life a new nature. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, Paul reminds us or says that, that, that God's love is actually poured out in our life through the Holy Spirit. So there's different affections. We have a different view of life. We have a different priority system. There's things that, that we value differently than we did before. So that love was poured out in our hearts. John said it this way. John said that let us love one another for love is from God. This unique kind of love that God gives, He gives at the time of salvation. He has poured it out in our life through the Holy Spirit. And John says, this is a kind of love that comes from God and it's a love that God has demonstrated. Now that's not anything foreign. Just the verses that we've read before, some of the songs that we've sung, talks about the love of God and His love for us. And it's an amazing love. And it's somewhat distinct from the world. That's what Paul is getting at in this passage. In fact, he gives us the benchmark. And and the love of God is one of those benchmarks that Paul gives in this in this uh, in this passage benchmark is is this standard of excellence this standard of expectation uh the standard of achievement this is where this is the yardstick this is the measurement by which everything else is to be judged and god is the one who establishes that and he pours that out in our hearts in our lives now Let's put this in the right context here. Remember, pause in the section of he is, he is calling us to walk worthy of the calling with which we have been called. And this calling is a, is a lifestyle, something we do on a daily basis, something that we do to please him. It's in, with our actions. And Paul is calling us to that. And, it, and it's a command. Go Walk. Walk with the Lord. Walk as unto the Lord. Walk worthy of this calling, of this salvation that He is giving us. Now, the salvation, this mark of love that He's given us, uh, corresponds with uh, the rest of the chapter in chapter 4, in, in that we are to put off certain things and to put on certain things. This is, a, this is something that has happened at salvation and is to continue to happen throughout our life. And that affects our walk. So Paul is communicating to these believers in Ephesians, this church in Ephesus, about how the believer is to walk, how he is con- to conduct himself. And that is to put off sin and to put on certain things. And this, this new this new characteristic or this new person that is putting off and is putting on is not just putting off and on sin, but there's also a change that has been taking place within the heart before that even takes place. Before we start to put off and put on sin, that change is taking place in the heart. We have to recognize that. We have to acknowledge that. Paul is building up to something here. He's making a point here, something that's very, very important And it has to do with God's love. And it has to do with our walk. And so he's pulling this together. And he says, let me summarize the the passage. Here's the point. Here's the point of the passage. Christ's demonstration of sacrificial love is the example for the believer's walk. 
Christ's love is the example for the believer and in his walk, his daily, his daily activities. And this love, this sacrificial love, is also the, the irreducible minimum. This is the benchmark for the believer's life, for the Christian's life. In contrast, and this is further on in the passage, we see the, love, the world's love which is self-centered and ungodly. And it's in contrast. And we'll see that. The question then we will like to point out is just what kind of benchmarks these are. Paul's pointing out some benchmarks. What are these benchmarks in the believer's life? Number one, the first benchmark that Paul points out here is God's love. And we'll get to the world's love in just a minute. But look at God's love in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God, His beloved children, and walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for you, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. He says, therefore. Now, therefore is the first word, and so it's pointing back to the previous passage. In fact, it's, it's pointing back to the previous verse. And this is an unfortunate chapter division here. Really, the chapter should have been divided later, later on because chapter 5, verse 1, really goes with chapter 4, verse 32. So let me go back and read that. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God. You see the connection. He is saying, what Paul is saying is... Put on this love that God has demonstrated in your life. He has forgiven you. Therefore, you are to imitate Him and forgive others. So we see the the connection there. The therefore. And He's pulling these things together. It's a a blend. He's blending these these ideas of us putting off and and putting on with what has taken place in our life and this love that God has shed abroad in our lives. Because now we are children. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. This word, imitators, it is the, the Greek word we would get our word for mimic from. And it means just to copy someone's specific character. You've seen these uh, these uh, these guys that can can mimic other people. Uh, they they could stand up and and pretend to be the president of the United States or pretend to be other characters. They mimic. We we understand that. That's not a, a foreign concept to uh, to us. Our children do it in the back seat of the car all the time when they're kids. Mommy, make him stop. He's saying everything that I I say. Mommy, make him stop. He's saying everything that I say. It just repeats. It just keeps going on and on and on. And you say, stop. We understand that, this, this idea of mimic. We are to mimic God. Now, that's an incredible thought when you, when you just ponder that. This is, uh, by the way, this is a command. So it's commanding us, and God will enable us to do what He has commanded us to do. And if God says to mimic me, then He's going to empower us to mimic Him. And we have to acknowledge, we all automatically recognize, well, we have some limitations. We're not God, are we? No, no, we're still limited. We're still, we're still just confined to this, this body, this earthly body. But it is there's something within children that that mimics the the parents. Even though they're small, they can say little things. They can do little things that you think, yeah, I know his mom and dad. I know who that kid is. But so we have to recognize that we do have our limitations, but we're still commanded to do it. And we are totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit to enable us to do that. Back in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays for this, chapter 3, verse 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. 
So, so Paul's praying that these Ephesians would, would understand, first of all, in chapter 1, but in chapter 3, that they would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to mimic God, to act like God, to be godly. Since the... Now, this isn't like slavish, legalistic mimicking of, of God, but it's, like I said, it's a natural thing for children to mimic their, their parents. And this idea of us being children of God is introduced to us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, when he says, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So we are his children. He has prepared this, and he has planned for this, and now he has adopted us. He has received us into his family. In fact, uh, well, we know the the passage, uh, John chapter 1, verse 12, he gave us the right to become the children of God. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ. That's not a surprise for believers. We, We know that. But what is amazing is that at the time, he infuses us with his nature. It it isn't as though he brings us into this family that we're completely foreign to and that we have no idea anything that's going on. He changes our nature from within that we have the same desires as the family. In fact, we have the same love and appreciation as the rest of the family. In fact, we can begin to look like the rest of the family from day one. At the time of birth. Now... I've been at the birth of all five of my children. When they come out, when they come out, they, I can tell right away, yeah, that's a dingus. <laughs> I can see that. Unfortunately, you know, you can just tell there's certain, there's certain things. You just look and now they're deformed and distorted and everything has to go back into place. That's the way things are. But you know what? You can tell that from, from day one. From day one, you can tell. They're, they're in the Dingus family. He has given us this new nature from the very beginning. So the nature of that nature. What does that nature look like? What is that like? That's what Paul is talking about here. It's the very, um, the very nature, the very characteristic of God. And he says, now, I want you to imitate that just as, just as dear children. Um, notice also in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're created in Christ Jesus. He, is, he has given us that, that privilege of looking just like Christ. Well, in what way? Because when I come out, when I become a Christian, I look back and I look at the family. I'm not sure that I fit. Sometimes I just don't think that, that I look like the rest of the family. But he says, you do. You are my children. Now you act like my children. You mimic me. I will help you. Go on. That's the, the tenor of this, uh, this passage. And it's, it has to do with our walk, our daily conduct. This is what we do as, as believers. So he goes on. He says, now, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Now, there's many attributes of God. There's many attributes of God. And, and sometimes it's, it's amazing to me that, that we have to learn God in stages, don't we? But I find that true in the Old Testament. It's You're reading along and... And, um, you know, you're reading of Abraham or, or Moses, and he refers to God as the God who provides. There's many different names of God that, that reveal his attributes. And uh, in this circumstance, Jacob understands. This is the God who, who has protected me, or this is the God who provides for me. And we tend to learn God in that same way. As we go through life, we know the things in God's Word, and, and that has informed our minds. But then... As we go through an experience, we, we emphasize a certain attribute of God. Boy, I appreciate the fact that He provided for me or that He protected me. He is the God who judges. He is the God Almighty. He is the, the strong one. He is the God who is there. These are names in the, in the Old Testament for God. He's the God of peace. But the perspective of the believer is really comes down to one central 
idea, one central attribute, and that is the perspective of the believer, is that God, God is love. He is a loving God. You can sum it up in that one, one word from the perspective of the believer. Now, God doesn't change, but sometimes our perspectives change. In fact, for the unbeliever, God is not to be known as the God who loves because they are still under God's wrath. And really, he should be known for the unbeliever as a God of wrath. In fact, uh, Paul, in Ephesians 2, he refers to the unbeliever. Among them, we also uh, formerly lived... Uh, and he goes on at the end of this verse, the nature, uh, uh, um, by nature, children of wrath, even as the rest. So this is children of God, not children of wrath, and they are, they, we know him as the heavenly father. And so our perspective on God changes. And there's a love that comes into view. That God is a loving God. He has reached down and saved us. He has pulled us close to Himself. He has pulled us into His family and, and infused His nature into us. And we begin to take on the characteristics of the family. And what is the major characteristic of that family? That benchmark, that high watermark, that's love. And Paul says, mimic that. Mimic that. And, and it's characterized in that Christ, in verse um, verse 32 of chapter 4, the verse previous, in Christ also has forgiven you. And this love is demonstrated by his forgiveness of you. Forgiveness of those who put their faith and trust in him. And, and that's a demonstration of God's love. God's love is demonstrated because he forgives us. And we are to demonstrate that same kind of love. In Matthew chapter 18, Christ reminds us, and Peter will ask him, Lord, how many times do I forgive my brother? Peter, it's unlimited. But why? Because love is unlimited. God's love is unlimited. We also learn about forgiveness is that it's in the name of the Son. This forgiveness is in Christ Jesus for his sake, First John two twelve says. As believers, uh, we have been forgiven all of our sins. Paul says in Colossians two. So this this redemption, this redeeming act of God, is a demonstration of His love and His forgiveness. But it's also just characteristic of who God is. This is characteristic of His nature. So when we are born into that family, we begin to take on that particular peculiar. A characteristic of God Himself. And Paul says, foster that. Foster that. I'll give you the Holy Spirit. You mimic God. Now Christ said, if you remember back, He said, uh, I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. If you remember that passage in John. That's Christ. We need to be doing the same thing. Unforgiveness, though, on the... The flip side, unforgiveness is, is a measure of self-righteousness. I'm not going to forgive. And self-righteousness. And forgiveness really is the, forgiveness is the measure of, of love. You could say, I, I love you, but if you don't forgive that person, you don't really love that person. Forgiveness is a characteristic of love. In fact, love is a one-word one word, uh, description or characteristic of a believer. We don't know Jesus' hairstyle. We don't know the kind of clothes he wore. We can guess. We don't know his personality. But Paul says there's one thing that you do need to know about Jesus Christ, and that's his love. And you need to in, enact that in, or, or incorporate that into your life. That kind of forgiving love. Um, I, I don't think we appreciate. I don't think we understand really that sometimes because we don't really, we, we take our sins for granted. But he died on the cross. He forgave your sins. And that's an incredible thing. That's a demonstration of his love. Sometimes I believe that we get to the point of believing and thinking, may this never be of any of us in this room. Sometimes I believe we 
We think that we deserve it. We deserve His forgiveness. Boy, that's just such a foreign concept. We know we don't deserve that. So, our response should be what? Just thanksgiving. Lord, thank you for this forgiveness. I did not deserve it. I do not deserve it on a daily basis. And I appreciate it constantly. Well, how is this love demonstrated? I've already already said, but look at what the passage says. Walk in love, he says, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. So the demonstration of this love is through Christ, and he loved us by, by giving up of himself. It's a giving kind of love. Um, this is a, a willing to, to, to sacrifice oneself. He came to the place, he came and died for us. In fact, Christ, this kind of love is an objective love, and, and Christ chose to do this. It wasn't, I feel so good about these people. I have this emotion down deep inside me about these people. It wasn't, it wasn't that kind of love. It was a choosing kind of love. They are unworthy. They are unloving. But I'm going to choose to love them. That's the kind of love this is. And this is a love without condition. This is a love that is sacrificial love. You know, marriage is a good example of this, in my opinion. Romantic love within marriage, that's great. That's great. I, I love that. that. You need to have that kind of love in your marriage. It's a good kind of love. But you know what? Real marriage, real, real love is this sacrificial love. That's that choice that's just objectively saying, thick or thin, I'm sticking with you. I'm bound to you. And that's this marriage kind of love, this unconditional love that I'm going to stick with you through thick or thin, no matter what. The the romantic love ebbs and flows, doesn't it? But it's that commitment. That's what you want. That's what holds the marriage together. This is the kind of love that doesn't it doesn't give up. It just keeps on keeps on going. Even when there's nothing been received back. Um that's just the nature of this, this type of love. And for the believer, um, this is the kind of love that's been infused in him. Now, it's not perfected love, as was mentioned earlier in some of the other passages. This is a love that, that, that is infused in us in seed form. And we need to let that kind of love grow. And let that kind of love be perfected in our life. Now, Jesus loved us to the point of self-sacrifice, self-abandonment. That's the kind of love that it is. Walk in this kind of love. Just as Jesus also loved you and gave himself up for us. Now, look at that. He gave himself up for who? For us. The believer. His, this, this, this children, this family of God. Those who love him. Those who believe in him Christ, uh, Christ's work was completed. He did everything that was necessary to save us. That was the kind of love that it, that it is. He didn't get things started. He, he, he moved through. He completed it. Everything was, everything was completed. Um, this is the pattern that we are to emulate. Our love... Our love should reach down, just like Christ's love, to even sinners. To even those who do not deserve our love. That's the kind of love, that's the kind of love that it is. But look, look how we know that this is a, a love that was sufficient. This is, this is a love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us and Offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. As a fragrant aroma. That's a very interesting term. The Old Testament is full of Old Testament uh, sacrifices that needed to be made. Sacrifices for sin. And Christ did that. 
A life had to be paid. Blood had to be shed. And Christ did that. This was a a true atonement. His blood was shed. There was an offering made. And a, a sacrifice that God was satisfied with. He says, a fragrant aroma. Um, God was satisfied fully. Those who, for whom Christ died will be saved. That's the kind of sacrifice it was. Christ's sacrifice was a, a fragrant aroma to God. And this just means that it was satisfactory. It, was, it, was, it accomplished what it was supposed to accomplish. And God was well pleased. Now, in the Old Testament times, there would be sacrifices going almost constantly and on a daily basis. And you could smell the, the, uh, the meat being offered as sacrifice. And people understood this, this aroma that would go up. And it would be a satisfying aroma. Sins had been taken care of. The guilt had been lifted. Forgiveness had been granted. There was a satisfaction. Even to man. Even to man. Christ's Christ's sacrifice appeased the holy, righteous character of God. That's the kind of sacrifice it was. To the point that he said, it is finished. And God said, it is complete and it is satisfactory. It is, it is exactly what needed to happen. That's the kind of love that it is. Now, this is the kind of love that, that has been infused into us. And we are to, this is to be flame, uh, fanned in our lives. This flame is to be fanned in our lives. This is the kind of love that we are to mimic, that God represents, or that God has demonstrated. We are a different kind of people. This is the core of what makes us different from the world. Now, Paul, and Paul's getting into that. And we'll see this in his contrast in just a minute. But just think about that. Every species is different. A gorilla is different from a bear, isn't it? A horse is different from a giraffe, a fish, and a bird. They're different. Species are different. When God brings us into his family and infuses us with his nature, we become different. And this is at the core of what that difference looks like. This is, this is kind of the benchmark. Uh, we are different. We're different from within. And then we begin to, then we begin to put off and to renew our mind and to put on. But this difference has to be acknowledged. This difference has to be there. This isn't, uh, this isn't some kind of superficial difference. This is a, a world of difference. Look at the benchmark number two. Now, this is the world's kind of love. Now, now, Paul's wanting to make this sharp contrast so that we can see the difference of how different we are, but also how distinct the world is and how... how um, uh, unfortunate the world is with this kind of love and how miserable it is. In verse 3, he goes on to say, but immorality, immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. This, uh, the first word there, but, is in contrast, and this is the world's kind of love. In contrast, this world's love is a, is a getting love, is not a giving love. And it's conditional, not unconditional. It's self-centered. It's looking for satisfaction. It, it wants to, to use up and exploit there's a there's no desire to serve others only only I'll serve you if I can get something out of it there's a this kind of love is is never satisfied it's always looking it's always there's always something looking for something better always changing there's never a commitment there's never a permanence to this kind of love it's immediate gratification now, I'll give you an example of this. Um, at Christmas time, is getting ready to, to come up <clears throat> here. And um, our children, uh, well, I tell you, what, let's don't pick on our children. 
Let's pick on us. When we were little, did we ever go to our parents and say, you know, mom and dad, those presents that you got me last year, those satisfied me so much that I I don't need anything this year. I, I appreciate them. They're great, but you know what? I am so satisfied with the toys that I had last year that, that, uh, it's not necessary. Thanks. But, uh, don't, don't buy me anything. That's not, that's foreign to us, isn't it? That's a foreign concept because we're not like that. We've got to have a different mu- movie. We've got to diff- have different music. We have to have different shows on TV all the time. Our flesh just consumes these things. It's always trying to satisfy. And we, we watch that, boy, that's the best movie. This is great. We run out and buy that movie and never watch it again. That's kind of what we do. Our clothing's constantly changing. Why? Because it's never satisfied. We're never satisfied with those things. Different foods. In fact, <clears throat> one of the presidential con- uh, candidates of the Republican uh, Party, uh, he coined this phrase... I'm I'm the new flavor of the month. That's the idea. You know what? This week it's going to be who? Next week it was this guy. This week is this. It's me. Next week, who's it going to be? We we change our mind. We're so fickle. We we just we just consume things. This is like the Greek culture. They consumed ideas. They just wanted to hear more and more ideas. It was just a consumption thing. That's the. That's the human nature. It's driven, as we'll see in this passage, by, by greed. Look at the three terms that he uses to describe this. It's immorality. And the Greek word is pornea. And you can tell what word we get from that. And it's referring to all sexual sins. It might be translated in your uh, translation as uh, fornication. But it, it, it's actually broader than that. And it means all sexual sins. Any kind of sexual sins. But these sins are contrary to the love of God. This is an immorality that is contrary to the God's love. And you'll see the connection here in just a minute. Impurity is a different word. It's, a, it's more of a general term than pornea. And it just simply means to be unclean and unfit, filthy. And it, in Scripture what we find is this word describing our thought life and our passions and our ideas and our fantasies and they're all sexually corrupted that's the that's the idea of this word that it's it's unpure but all of that is driven by this one word greed so this immorality or impurity or greed must not be named among you he moves from the from the from the greater to the lesser or, or he, he moves down to the motive and the motive that, that, that characterizes this kind of love is greed. It's a consuming kind of love. It's this, it's this greed. Now, in the context here, it's clearly uh, sexual in nature. This is a self-willed or self-gratification, a self-centered kind of, uh, kind of love. Greed always produces immorality and impurity. And when it's left unchecked, and we go about as adults, we, we kind of check ourselves, even as non-believers, but we kind of check ourselves to make sure we're not like, we're, we're kind of like everybody else, that we're not some kind of extreme. But when it does go unchecked in the world, it describes uh, those who are just completely disregarded of human life. Human life is just for my own consumption. That's the idea. That uh, you just use people for your good in the context here sexually. And they're just disposable like you would throw off a pair of jeans. And you disregard people's feelings. You disregard their welfare. And boy, we see that today. In today's society, we see this very thing going on. The human flesh is just disposable. It can be gotten rid of. Um, this immorality and purity, this is in stark contrast to the love that is self-sacrificing, isn't it? 
He says, I want you to imitate this kind of love, not like this kind of love that the world has that's, that's motivated by greed and leads to all of these perverse things. Be like, be like this. And he goes on, he gives us, um, well, let me go to the next phrase. Must not even be named. He's talking about even the appearance from the church, the reputation of the church. And it's not just the reputation, it's inside the church and outside the church. It's not even fitting. Um, it must not even be named among you. The reputation of church, the, the idea is blameless. We are to be blameless. And that idea is people may throw accusations at us, but it is so contrary to our nature, so contrary to who everybody knows that we are, that those blames, they don't even stick. So we're just, we're blameless. And that's the idea. Don't even have that be be named among you as is proper for saints. The term proper here is, is not fitting. It's not appropriate. It's not suitable. It's a square peg in a round hole. It doesn't fit with the family of God. As this is is proper among saints. Those are holy ones. Those who are been set apart. That's the idea of holy. Those have been set apart. They can't. Or these holy ones are not to participate in unholy acts. It's not. It doesn't compute. It's not right. It doesn't fit. It's not proper. And there must be... uh, And he goes on, by the way, and he adds to this in verse 4, and there must be no no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. This filthiness is just a general obscenity, uh, degrading, uh, disgraceful acts. Silly talk, the the word silly talk, we get our word moron from. It's moros, and it means dull or or stupid, and it's equal to unintelligent talk. It's like drunk talk. An an unchecked, perverse mind, that's what it is. The person's just kind of out of their mind saying anything, and the mind is already perverse, and they're they're just spewing on everything. The next word is coarse jesting. That's that's a little bit different term in that there's intelligence now. There's a guard there, but it's pointed. It's it's a determined uh, it's a determined talk. And the idea is it it takes any normal conversation and turns it into something perverse, something that's filthy. It's a uh, it's an immoral wit, you might say. Now, both of these are from the same heart. One is just foolish talk. One is uh, coarse jesting. But one is dim-witted and the other is quick-witted. But it's still perverse. It's still immoral. That's not even to be named. Which is not fitting, he goes on to say. Fitting is, is the idea of it's not related. It doesn't belong and this kind of communication does not fit the Christian. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't match. Um, we are not to participate in this kind. Of, we are not to encourage this kind of talk. It's not fitting. It's not, this is actually marks of an unregenerate person. But rather we are to what? Give thanks. If there's one mark, one characteristic of, of, of love that we are to, to implement into our life is this just thankful. It's thankful to the Lord. Now this goes against our human nature. Our human nature says that we are independent. Remember that? And that we're self-sufficient. And that we can make moral judgments on our own. This says, when we're thankful, we're just the opposite of that. We recognize, we acknowledge our need. We recognize and acknowledge our insufficiency. And so we declare, thank you. Thank you. That's something I could not have done within myself. I am not autonomous. I am not independent. But I am uh, I'm dependent on God and others. And so I'm thankful. 
And this is a one word description of a loving heart that Paul gives us here. Now, we try to pull this together here. When I was a little boy, I'd heard the phrase, love and or oil and water don't mix. Have you ever tried that? Pour a little bit of oil into water. Because I thought, I can do this. I can make this work. Because I can stir and stir. And that's what I did. I poured the water and the, uh, poured the oil in and stir it up. I'm just going to stir it really fast. And it's going to work. Oil and water can mix. I'm going to make them. Now, what it produced is little beads of oil all in the water. But the oil and water really never did mix. And what was so amazing, and I learned later as a, as, and, and I observed as a kid, is that water, the tension of the water, pushed that oil back together. And kind of the oil rose to the top. Oil's a little lighter and it pulled, uh, pushed it back together. And the oil just kind of came back all together. And I just wasted my time mixing because it, it didn't work. That's the idea. We're so different from the world. Our love is so completely different from the world's kind of love. They can't mix. It just can't be done. So you flame this kind of, or you fan this kind of love into a hot fire. This is the kind of love that, that is demonstrated by God Himself, by Christ Himself. That's the kind of love that we as believers are to have. Not like this kind of love that's based in greed. In fact, that kind of love is not even be, it's not fitting and it, it doesn't need to be anywhere named among you, he says. That's the idea. And in verse 5, he goes on and gives us the outcome. What is the outcome of this, the benchmarks here that he's given us? The benchmarks of, the, of God's love and the world's love. And it's just real quick. It's very simple. <clears throat> For this you know with certainty, and apparently Paul has probably taught them this before, to be aware of this, you know this with certainty, you know that uh, the, the term know is just experiential know, I, I know this because I've experienced it, um, that no immoral or impure person or, or covetous man, now he's describing the things that uh, of the, the world's kind of love, the, the things that he just had gone over. And then he puts a, a little qualifier on it. Now, it's, it's coming from their own covetous man. It's the same idea. But he puts a little qualifier on it. Who is an idolater? And that's exactly what's happening here. There's never been a change in that person's heart. They're still worshiping themselves. They still have this greedy kind of love. Which, which leads to all of this immorality, that stuff that doesn't need to be named among you. And, and he says, and, and, and it's clear, it's just obvious to everybody. No idolater, no one who is worshiping something else is going to enter God's heaven. The one true and living God. It's just clear. It just makes sense. It's just common sense. It's clear to all. And, and he says... Um, Immoral, impure person, or covetous man, who will, who is an idolater, has an inheritance of Christ and God. Those who have not submitted to the king do not belong in his kingdom. That's the idea. If he is not king, if something else is on the throne, if someone else is on the throne, even ourselves, we do not belong in the kingdom of heaven. Um... God's children have God's nature and God's habits. We belong then in God's kingdom. He's talking about, obviously, salvation, but the eternal state of, uh, of the believers, those who have submitted to the king of the kingdom. And there he, there he ends this, this section talking about the importance of the kind of love that God has and how stark contrast it is to the world's kind of greedy, selfish love that's not to be named among us. Because why? The very characteristic of those two things are, are, are opposite. And, and it's not to be named because it's, it's so foreign to us. In fact, it represents and it demonstrates that the heart is worshiping something else. The heart is worshiping some other God. And we know 
that idolaters don't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, we may think idolaters as those people in darkest Africa who are worshiping a totem pole, worshiping some kind of carven, graven image. Or maybe uh, idolaters are, are those people in the Old Testament and what they did. We know those are idolaters. But you know what Paul is saying? Those very people who have that kind of love, who are saturated with that kind of mentality and greed, they are idolaters. And you know what? We can tend to be that kind of idolaters. We take God off the throne and put ourselves on the throne and, and we, uh, we worship. We don't like to say it that way. It's not comfortable. But sometimes we do. Paul says, no, you imitate God. God. You imitate God. Well, let me read the the final point there. Christ's demonstration of sacrificial love is the example for the believer's walk and the irresistible minimum or the benchmark, the benchmark for the Christian's life. And it's in stark contrast to the world's love, which is self-centered and ungodly. Question for application. Where do we belong? Which group are we in? Paul's going to get into that next week. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for shedding your love abroad in our hearts. We thank you for this gift of love, this unique kind of love, this sacrificial love that so marks us and Father, thank you for Christ who, who, was, who, is the, who is the example of this kind of love. Lord, help us to mimic that love. Help it to be so much a characteristic of our life that, that they say, there goes a Christian. There goes one who is holy. There goes one who belongs in the family of God. It's clear. It's obvious. And Lord, help, these, help us to, to not allow this, this love of the world to creep in that's just motivated by by greed and self-consumption. Lord, we thank you for your work in our lives, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.